0: Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week we look at a publication exploring art, design and culture from the Balkans. Plus the success of a Manchester-based magazine. And finally, a fashion giant opens a new bookstore. Enjoy the show. From Idori House in London, this is The Stack. 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. And now I had the pleasure to speak with Rafaela Kacunic, co-founder of This is Badland, an annual print publication and online platform dedicated to the exploration of art, design, and culture from the Balkans and beyond. Let's hear from Rafaela, who paid us a visit to our studios.
1: Well, we take our Balkan roots and heritage so to say cultural heritage and yeah open it up to the world basically and collaborate with friends and creatives all over the world so yeah it it takes its balkan roots as a starting point to have conversations and create content together basically
0: of course i must ask what is your balkan connection perhaps well so why did you decide to co-found this title
1: well i'm uh, my parents are croatian so am I and my whole family. Yeah, I grew up in Germany, though, since they immigrated to Germany and eventually moved back to Croatia eight years ago. So I spent a lot of time in Croatia again. And I have a lot of friends all over the Balkans, from Serbia to North Macedonia, Greece, Turkey and so on. So I feel very connected to that area, even though I grew up in Germany and Also have that German inside of me, obviously. But yeah, the project, the Batland project was also a way to connect with like-minded people from that region.
0: Would you say connect, but perhaps showcase to people who who perhaps don't know much about Balkan culture? I think that's perhaps one of the...
1: Yeah, I think... Yeah, both of these things are the intention. (laughs) Because the magazine is in English as well, right? Exactly, yeah. I wanted to have fun, to connect with people, to connect with creatives from the Balkans and kind of create something together and give them a voice and kind of really play around with that and to fill that space between the West and the East in a way because the Balkan region was always like a tunnel from the West to the East and a proxy battlefield for the world powers. So... Yeah, we just wanted to build something out of it, something creative and fun basically and just open it up to the world because then it's like more interesting for everyone involved, I think.
0: You said the word fun and, you know, just flicking through the latest issues well, you see amazing photography, there's a very kind of fun side to the visual direction of the magazine, right? So, so tell us what, what can you say perhaps about the visuals uh, and the design of the title?
1: So we started Badland in co-creation, so to say, with Bus Group, which is a, by now a 3D mostly design studio based in Berlin. And we shared an office space together back in the days uh, with the first issues. And yeah, so we had a whole evolution together. And well, what can I say? It's just a little trippy. It's like also trippy. My per- that's a good
0: word. A good <laughs> it's my word.
1: personal outlet to just go wild and do whatever I feel like. And Bus Group was always a good collaborator on this because they know me because we're friends and they understand. They, they laugh at me. They're like, OK, OK, we got you, you know. And then it's just like a fun way to, you know, try things out and to think out of the box because I work as an, a creative and art director for commercial clients and brands. So it's really nice to have my little magazine outlet where I can go a little wilder. And this issue specifically was designed by Sophia, who is also a friend of mine. And we really had fun times just sitting next to each other on the couch and designing the magazine. But it has like a different approach than the other ones. I don't know if you saw the other issues before. So this one has a little bit of a like a, let's say, mature (laughs) touch to it. (laughs) It's the sixth issue. So yeah, we wanted like a little change
0: and how often does it comes out is it is it kind of a, an annual title biannual? annual what are the, the plans for the upcoming issues
1: yeah so when we started the magazine the intention was biannual but then it's just <laughs> a lot <laughs> also it's a big i mean yeah. it's a big magazine i mean how, and then how many we pages? decided yeah, yeah 200 i don't know 256 or something yes but then we decided like look let's just do it annually because the takes time to like really create profound content and stories and um, I mean I don't know why I say that word the whole time but I hate the word content (laughs) to create profound interesting stories you know like if I pick up a book or a magazine I just want to read something that like opens my eyes or my mind or like you know challenges my views or whatever so it takes a while to create this kind of like angle we were afraid if we would fall into this like seasonal cycle And that we would just become a fashion publication or whatever. Because then you have to like cater to the needs of your advertisers, obviously, which is natural. But we just wanted to leave that space for us to create and to explore. And therefore we need time and no pressure, basically. And then, yeah, once we have enough, once we feel ready, we just make it work. So it's like a very, um, let's say... A very free approach to creating and like selling things, I would say.
0: And you mentioned stories, not content. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I loved <laughs> an interview. Uh, I was looking at, it, at your website as well. You, you interview activist uh, Tekel. Yeah. Uh, what a great interview as well. Like, Thank you. You said that you started perhaps a little bit in a rush, but then you felt like friends. And that's the kind of interesting content you have as well. So it's definitely not just nice fashion shoots shot in the Balkans or something like that.
1: Yeah, no, that's not the intent. But yeah, definitely. I mean... I'm personally very curious and I love to have this magazine to meet people like her and to connect and to exchange and see how similar our stories are, even though they're totally different. Like, it's really interesting. And yeah, and just to stay in touch with people who really do work on the ground and not just like, you know... Theories and art and fashion, which is beautiful and is part of the issue as well. But like, I think it's for me personally, it's really important to connect with people who actually move things in real life.
0: Quick question: Why this is Badland? Is is there any connection to the Balkans or or? The...
1: Yeah. So when we were thinking about the title, my co-founder Nina Vukelich. She came up with this and we were talking about it. And then I realized, you know what? Actually, it's really cool because it kind of like reminds me of the word Balkan, you know, like Badlands. Like it has the same kind of, yeah, let's say, I don't know, like visuality to it and the same balance in the typo. So that was like the reason why I liked it from a creative direction perspective. But also the meaning of Badlands is like, it's like a landscape somewhere in America where like rotten rock strata grow from the ground right like and the we see the balkans more like not as a rotten region but as a region that has suffered so much and has been through so many battles and so much pain and people are still you know not broken and creating and fun and loving life and This is how we thought this is like the perfect title for it, even though there were already some publications with it or some like representing agencies or video games. But we thought it's such a wide word. And this is also why we liked it, that it was used so much, you know, so it's same as Balkan. It's being tossed around this term, but no one really knows where is it? What is it? A lot of people don't know, let's say, but So that's what we liked about the name Badland.
0: And, you know, when talking about the Balkans, do you feel that, especially the artistic community, do you think they are kind of united? They feel Balkan more than Croatian or, you know, any other country. How do you feel that integration between countries?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's also why I created this from my angle is because the xenophobia is still real in the Balkans. That's just a fact. But the new generation, the post-war generation, is growing over that and we connect on a different level and we are healing and it's our way to kind of, yeah, establish interrelations and to co-create together. So I can't speak for other people how they identify, right? I don't know. I personally, I'm Croatian, right? Because my whole family lives there and has their own story of suffering, but I still also feel Balkan, right? Like it's both in a way. Also, these are just terms in the end and it's just like a feeling and it's related to music and culture and food and Jokes and humor, but there is this common pain, like whatever the history is of that region, we all, even though the generations before us hurt each other, but we all share this, we all have that pain in common, right? Like, and I think this is what's connecting us. But yeah, that's just my assumption. I don't know.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. And First of all, congratulations on This Is Badland. I, I've seen on your website, you have so many stockists in the UK, in France as well, in Germany, of course. So how if, if somebody's interested, can you subscribe or would you suggest they go to your website and look at the amazing stockist page there?
1: Yeah, well, I have to update it. I mean, I, I am constantly updating it, but I think the UK stores, I don't know, since like a few years now since Corona it's complicated. And so yeah, so if a UK store is listening, yes, <laughs> please reach out to us. Distribution at thispedland.com. But yeah, we are in New York. We are in Berlin in your favorite stores and I will check again and update it on our website. so but yeah, if any store is listening, feel free to reach out to us.
0: Thank you very much, Raphael. For more information, go to thisisbadland.com. Up next on today's show, we hear the story of Proper magazine. Proper is a quarterly publication that covers clothing, music, lifestyle, culture, and everything in between. Since its creation in 2005, it has published over 40 issues, growing from a DIY style zine into a media brand with its own creative agency and even its own clothing brand, HikerDelic. Monaco's Charlie Filmer Court recently went along to Proper's Manchester HQ to find out more and to meet the publication's co-founder, Mark Smith. He began by asking Mark how it all began almost two decades ago.
2: Well, initially... Probably in my early 20s, I met Neil Summers at a call centre job. Neither of us really liked, but somehow stayed at for a couple of years. It was with an IT training company, so we got access to a lot of training, things that we maybe wouldn't have done at that time, late 90s, early noughties. And it just gave us the confidence to write and to learn how to use technology a little bit better. And as time went on, we just decided to do things that we're into. And we found that somebody had done a magazine on a forum. This was pre-social media. Sold it through the forum. We thought we could do something similar, if not better. We did. Set it all up. Designed it myself, even though back at it now and I wonder what I was thinking. Printed it in my loft on a 40-quid printer. Sold a few copies and just carried on doing it. And that's always been... At the core of what we've done is to make the next one better than the last one. That's that's what we do, and that's how it all started, really.
3: Obviously, in the beginning, there was quite a DIY ethos when you kind of figured it out that way. In those early days, what were you trying to achieve? Did,
2: did you have a goal? I mean, speaking personally, it, it was a way of stopping my brain from shrinking because I was at home looking after a, a young son who's now... It was going to be 22 next birthday and watching CBeebies and all that other stuff just made me feel just like i needed an outlet so it was initially it was just that it was just to do something that was just for me writing stuff for other blogs and, and for the magazine as well for neil it was he's always been into to music so it was a good outlet for that and we just continued doing it and doing it as long as we enjoyed it and and that still remains the case really
3: And speaking of the aspects that you enjoy and the parts of creating the magazine that you like, could you maybe talk us through some of your favorite stories that you covered? I particularly enjoyed the Ray Mears one. Ray Mears talking about menswear is something I didn't expect to see personally.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, on, on these forums, again, pre-social media, they were what was social media at the time. And on those forums, you'd often see, like, people celebrity spotting. You'd see Griff jones wearing CP Company, and you think, how did that even happen? You'd see Ray Mears wearing Fuel Raven, You'd see, obviously, there's a lot of musicians wearing different trainers that people would be really into. And I think now that's been commodified within an inch of its life, but back then it was just enthusiasts. And I think at that point, the idea of interviewing Griff Rhys-Jones or Ray Mears, both of whom would not be somebody that GQ would interview about clothing. But to us, it was like, well, how did that happen? How did he wear that? This is stuff that we're into. And he's almost like an unlikely style icon as a result, seeing Alan Partridge in Stone Island, things like that. It was just at that point, again, as I say, pre-social media, it was something that only real hardcore people would notice and then talk about online which now feels a bit geeky to say that but at that point that was that was all people had
3: speaking of the hardcore fans and the people on the forums who have now become fans of the brand you've obviously got to know these people quite well now over sort of 20 years almost of publishing who are you know your archetypal proper readers and is there such a thing
2: i think it's changed over the years i think initially it was guys that were to a certain degree reliving the youth buying trainers that they missed out on when they were younger and then as they've got older they've got older with us with the same appreciation for the kind of things that we're into there's also much younger generation I think age is is not what it was to people I think younger people and older people share the same tastes a lot of the time now and I think through social media we've got a lot of new appreciation for what we do I think we've always Tried to do the opposite of what the conventional wisdom would say in terms of content. So the way that more established magazines wrote about content, we wanted to write about it in a much more relatable way. We decided to write about stuff that we could afford and stuff that we were really serious about, but we never wanted to show it. So that's what's attracted people who are geeky, but don't want to show that they're geeky. So there are over 40 issues
3: of Proper Now. It's obviously a strong commitment to print. It's approaching 20 years as well since you published the first one why is print important to proper it's obviously a central part of your brand but but why does it matter to you
2: i think with print in general you don't get the edit button that you get on a social media post or on a blog so with everything you have to maintain really high standards real pedantic eye for typos which we've just always had not always been very good at it sometimes but certainly in the early years you'd find loads of typos but as a magazine when you're putting something in print, it has to be better than what you would find online because people are probably going to be paying for it and it's a lot more considered. It's more of a, a real life experience. You're not scrolling through pages, you're turning the pages to read stuff and just the texture of paper, the smell of the paper, the size of it on a shelf, everything about that, is, it just feels a lot more tangible. And I think the parallel with vinyl is, is probably a valid one because you see the resurgence of that as a, as a way of consuming music. Even when you know people can access music so much easier now, there are people out there going, getting vinyl in the same way that they would with print now because they want something that is real world almost. And I guess following on from
3: that, the products and the culture that, that you feature in the magazine are primarily centered around design. Do you think it's important that you embrace this? And I guess you know how much value do you place on the design and the
2: look of the magazine itself as well? The design's a lot more important now than it was at the beginning, put it that way. We've realised probably up to about issue nine that it was never going to become something serious unless we took the design serious. I was designing it back then but with kind of GCSE aesthetic that I could put together something but it wasn't always going to be something that would get brands involved. We then got the opportunity for issue 10 and 11 to work with James Brown, who obviously set up Loaded Magazine and is a bit of a a giant in the publishing world through the 90s and, and even today. And he gave us the knowledge and the confidence to be able to turn it into a real magazine. At that point, really, there was no looking back. We knew that everything we did from that point had to be better than before progressive but also never too far away from that core value of something that had to look good on a shelf and had to be nicely laid out and there are trends in graphic design and there are trends in clothing and we try to sort of observe them without getting too far ahead of ourselves and I think just generally I think if you want to be taken seriously when you're writing about things like footwear and culture and clothing then the way that you package it has to be convincing otherwise people aren't going to believe you what you're saying
3: so one aspect of the of the business that's grown out of the magazine is your own creative
2: agency did that arise from working with the brands on the magazine i think The main answer to that is when you're doing a magazine, especially these days, it's not just going to be about what you can write and how you can design it and what the print looks like. It's about extending that beyond just that one medium of printed magazine. And I think all of the skills that you acquire in that process, when you stick at it like we have, eventually become transferable and can be applied to standalone projects with brands. I think the knowledge we've acquired just through doing it every single day for a long time, the experience, the contacts with culture and the ability to still stay relevant. The internet's obviously great for that because you can see what other people are doing without having to fully immerse yourself in it. And I think generally that's what's enabled it to become a, a creative agency because of all of the skills that you you learn in that process of of building a magazine that you realize that eventually the natural progression is, is to do stuff for brands alone. And then eventually when you've been doing that, you then go, well, where's our brand, why don't we do our own brand? And that's how Hycadelic came about.
3: So do you think having these multiple facets of the business, you know, creative agency, uh, a fashion brand, do you think that that's an important part of, of the magazine and creating a, a modern magazine brand? In essence, you know, supporting print and making
2: print work. For us as a marketing agency, I suppose you could call us, having our own audience and our own magazine are quite a big difference between a lot of other agencies and a lot of other creatives. And I think more and more these days, people are diversifying into different things because they realize that as human beings, we're not that simple, we're complex and and we've got the ability to do different things and apply ourselves to different things and It's a bit of a David Brent style quote, but if you want people to think outside the box, don't put them in one. And and we try not to stay in the box too much because I think that limits the creativity and and limits the power of what you can actually do. So we've spoken about
3: how Proper Magazine has grown from a a DIY zine into a, a magazine with various different aspects of the business involved as well. Is there anything exciting on the
2: horizon? Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of what's next, the sky's the limit, really. I mean, if you'd said to me 20 years ago that I'd be sat here being interviewed about what I've done, then I would never have believed you. So who knows where things can go? I wouldn't like to limit it. But being pretty grounded, the next thing that we do is whatever we do tomorrow. And we just keep doing tomorrow and tomorrow after and the day after and just keep doing our thing and, and trust that process that it'll get us where we want to in the end. And hopefully in another 20 years, look back at what we've done and and have a bit of pride about it and, and feel like we've done ourselves justice.
0: And now, exciting news coming from the fashion giant Saint-Laurent. They're opening a bookshop in Paris. Saint-Laurent Babylon we stock rare books, magazines and out-of-print music records, hand-picked by the label's creative director, Anthony Vaccarello. To tell us more, here is Natalie Theodossi, Monaco's fashion editor.
4: It just opened last week and it's in the left bank of Paris on uh, Rue de Grenelle and it's really, I think, a passion project and it reflects Antony Vaccarello's interest with in music, in books. And well, what's interesting is that the brand also wants to use it as an event space. So they want to host uh, DJ sessions, author readings, book signings and launches. And it's a reflection, I think, of their ambitions to really branch out into other creative sectors they've also last year launched a film production company under their umbrella so a lot going on at Saint Laurent.
5: There's lots and lots going on I mean in this shop there is there's a sort of sense that obviously it's an incredibly beautiful place but as you said it's a cultural hub which is is going to be intended to bring in what intellectuals creatives and to try and sort of bring a
4: real sense of life to Rue de Grenelle. Exactly, and I think it, it's such an important location for them as well because Saint Laurent has such a history with the left bank. It's where the founder Yves Saint Laurent opened his first ready-to-wear boutique at a time when all the couture salons were on the right bank, but he chose to to go to the other side of the river, which was more bohemian. It was filled with students, and uh, he pioneered um, this brand that offered clothes off the rack, prêt-à-porter, uh, uh, as they called it, which which was a very new thing at the time in the 1960s. He also lived there in a beautiful apartment right near where the store is located now and uh, brought people together. He had a beautiful art collection. So it's it's very true to the spirit of the brand and it's just doing it in, in a modern way. And, and like you said, bringing together intellectuals, creatives, and also encouraging customers to think of the brand and engage with the brand in a a very different, maybe less commercial way.
5: Tell us a little bit more about what Anthony Vaccarello is doing here at Saint Laurent. Um, The fact that he's he's met this production company he has started up, and there's many discussions about how Vaccarello is making Saint Laurent his own by paying homage or paying tribute to the past of Saint Laurent the house, but also making sure that he makes it his own.
4: I think he's had such a great run transforming the house into one of the fastest-growing, most successful brands under the caring umbrella in the fashion world. He he's a very sharp focus on his designs, and on the images of the campaigns, and, and really created a world around his collections that, like like you said, it's it's a very fine balance of something that feels new and fresh, but you'll never see him veer too far, of course. It's always the smoking tuxedo, the safari jacket, things that are really true to the brand. And and it has really resonated with with the global customers that the the brand has grown so much. And I think now he's just experimenting with uh, what else the brand could be now that it is in such a good state in, in, in the fashion uh, department. And uh, Books is one of them. And uh, this production company that launched last year is, is another. They started with a film by Pedro Almodovar that was launched in the Cannes Film Festival. And they just want to work with as many producers and actors as possible. It's not a commercial uh, exercise as much, they're not producing fashion films only, but he said that he wants to just give space to the people and that have been inspiring him all throughout his career. Tell me how much of an internal
5: couture rivalry is going on between here because the minute that you hear about the Vaccarello bookshop, you start thinking about Carl Lagerfeld when he opened his bookshop and his library is occasionally being opened up for discussion for intellectuals and, and political thinkers and also for creatives as well. And one wonders whether there's a sort of a, a, a gentle sniping going on here.
4: <laughs> I think you, you're right. It's such. I, I started thinking about it as well and realised that it's not something brand new, like you said. Karl Lagerfeld's library is absolutely incredible. Kim Jones, as well, the creative director of Dior Menswear, has an incredible library and, and dedicated a whole show to Jack Kerouac a few seasons ago and displayed some of his own rare editions of, of his books uh, before the show. Alaya, as well, another French brand, had done a collaboration with um, Rare Books, but Rare Books—it's a bookshop in Paris. And they curated uh, pop-ups with, with different books in their London and Paris shops. So I think brands are just thinking of different ways to get creative, to engage customers. And designers are just really interesting people that look at books and, and film and art as a way of inspiring their collections. And I think that's what designers are really successful when they do look beyond their sector and and their beat and and engage the the creative world as a whole.
0: Thank you very much as always, Natalie, and I can't wait to visit the new bookstore. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, just email me Fernando at fbnmonaco.com Meanwhile, you can listen to previous episodes on monaco.com Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Thank you.